welcome to another session of our Division 45 mentorship session. And this is another Saturday morning. And we welcome Dr. Bliones um, to join us talking about psychology licensure. And we're very excited to have him on board. And he is recently licensed. Um, so congratulations. Um, to start our session, yeah, to start our session, I'll provide a very brief introduction um, about um, myself and Dr. Bliones, and we will jump ahead um, into our session today. So my name is Yue Li. I am a fourth year doctoral candidate in the Counseling Psychology Program at Indiana University Bloomington. Um, and um, Dr. Bliones, is a licensed psychologist who works at the University of Wyoming's University Counseling Center. Dr. Bliones is an APA Minority Fellowship Scholar with research interests in suicidology in rural and ethnic and sexual minority populations. And um, mm -hmm. I will give the space to Dr. Bliones to uh, give us a little bit more introduction about your personal and professional background up until this point. And Yue, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to speak this morning, so thank you. Uh, I'll just give a brief synopsis. Uh, I started out volunteering for a, a crisis hotline and uh, in California. That's, I'm from California. And then from there, I joined uh, San Francisco Suicide Prevention Hotline and then uh, went to college at San Francisco State University and majoring in psychology. And uh, after my post, uh, my post back, um, I went to AmeriCorps in Montana, uh, which is where I got more involved in uh, suicide research and talking with people in the rural areas about suicide risk. Um, and from there, I, I went to school uh, for my master's at Montana State University and then earned my doctorate degree at the University of North Dakota in Grand Forks. Um, along the way, I did practicum uh, at, at mostly college counseling centers and also a behavioral health rotation at a, at a hospital as well. And I did also some practicum work in an inpatient facility and community mental health. So I've worked in um, most uh, settings. Um, I have never, I haven't worked at a VA setting before, so I, I don't know much about that. Um, I have worked in, in you know, other settings that make me pretty uh, universal and I've gotten experience in a lot of different populations, which has been helpful. Um, I have lived experience with um, depression, self-harm, and suicide risk, so I have um, some personal and professional background with it, and I, I use all of my experience and uh, knowledge and lessons learned in all the work that I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for giving us a background of your professional experience, and I also really appreciate sure. uh, you sharing a little bit of personal relevance to the topic, and um, it seems mm -hmm. like um, you find a, a spot that really bridges your professional and um, personal interests together. Oh, very much. I've been very lucky. Yeah, thank you. And um, mm -hmm. it, it, since you are a licensed psychologist, um, oh, I'm curious about what are some of the reasons why you um, chose to be a licensed psychologist? Um, because as counseling psychologists, um, uh, we have different career paths to choose from. Uh, there mm -hmm. are folks who pursue academia and folks who pursue um, a, a psychologist position at UCCs like you do, and there are folks in mm -hmm. private practice, lots of different settings. So uh, I'm curious about oh, what are some of the thinking around choosing the path that you are in right now? Sure, uh, a few reasons. Um, the first is that 
the age that most people are when they go to college, that, that, that middle adulthood, if you will, or that developmental stage where they, where people can make some very crucial changes um, with the right support, um, professional and personal support. And so I wanted to be a part of that professional uh, support network, if you will, for people in college. Um, and college is now more uh, than before, um, have a lot more people with severe mental health disorders. Um, and in, in my experience uh, and the lessons learned, people with, with more severe illnesses come to college worse they didn't before in, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and even maybe early 2000s. Uh, but now people with uh, mental health issues come to college and, and are able to thrive. So I want to be a part of virtual counseling here and being able to provide um, students free mental health support that's that's high quality is is important to me and I know that it's for many students it's the first time ever getting any kind of therapy at all so I want to make sure that I'm a part of the team that gives them really quality and authentic mental health counseling and support mm -hmm. and the other and being here in Wyoming I wanted to work in a population that's rural and where the suicide risk was was higher so I could be a part of that um, change. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, and it seems mm -hmm. like the age population um, really uh, fits with your interest in terms of emerging adults um, as well as students who are higher risk in the rural communities. Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, and mm -hmm. um, since our topic is on psychology licensure, um, would yeah. you tell us a little bit about your experience and journey to get licensed? And I know it's a very long process for us to get doctoral yeah. degrees and uh, postdoc hours in some states and different states have different regulations. Um, so personally, I have lots of confusion about how this process would go. Um, so yeah. I'm sure our students are very interested in hearing about that. For sure. Uh, the, to go back to a question you asked a, a moment, few moments ago, uh, learning from my advisor, Dr. Rachel Navarro, and then from some personal models I had working in, in practicum, the idea of being a licensed psychologist in a center uh, for me was was a better path because I was able to do more outreach, which uh, I, I have a lot of passion for and a lot of uh, joy to do. So I really wanted to be in a place where I could do outreach. Um, I did not think at the time, in my opinion, it may change that being a faculty member was where I wanted to, to put my time in. Uh, not that that's, um, that, like I said, that may change in the future, um, but I, I'm the type of person that does need some variety in their day. So mm -hmm. the, the ability to be able to do four or five different things in a day really helps. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that um, for me, I found that in, in my work as in a counseling psychology, or excuse me, University Counseling Center, mm -hmm. uh, the path to licensure was, um, that's interesting. Uh, luckily, I was at a really helpful uh, uh, internship site uh, placement at the University of Akron, and the staff, they are all licensed psychologists, and they all came and come from a variety of backgrounds, and they gave us a pretty uh, strong overview of the licensure requirements in different states, including Ohio. For me, I contemplated California and Montana and here in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. um, for other people, uh, that we can get licensed in any state and, and their license is going to um, everywhere because there aren't 
federal property. Uh, and the other part was um, knowing that once your license is not, doesn't just stop, you're required to do CEUs and you're required to keep learning, thankfully. Um, and the other part of it, um, the licensure is the cost of it and mm-hmm. seeing if that is the path that you want to go. So there was a bit of reflection on, if, is this what I want to do? Do I want to get a license? Do I want to just, um, can I just continue on and um, wait, like just do postdoc for a year and then get licensed later? Mm-hmm. So a lot of those questions I had to ask myself is also a lot of it too is once you're licensed in one state, it's it's not like it's impossible, but it's more challenging to get licensed in other states. Right. So I had to think through a lot of those things. Um, right. And then the other part too, and I'll get to some more of this later is um, postdocs, you, you typically don't get paid as much as a licensed psychologist. I mean, very rarely do you. So mm-hmm. um that was also a, a, an aspect I needed to think about too. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like there is a lot to consider in terms of the licensure process. Not only it's a complicated process itself, but every state is different. Um, and every mm-hmm. person's career path and goals are different as well. Um, yes. Lots of questions came to my mind. Um, I guess, um, first of all, I'm really interested in uh, you talking about the decision around doing a postdoc or getting licensed um, directly uh, or right after mm-hmm. your internship. Um, how was the process for you um, to make that decision? And what are some of the things that you considered or our students should consider? Right. Uh, the first thing was um, if I wanted to pursue a postdoc that would give me specialized training. I think the largest thought process. Mm-hmm. The second was uh, if you are able to find a postdoc that is one year, um, or excuse me, more than one year, if you're able to find a two or three year postdoc, that would at least provide you some type of foundation to, to live from. For me, I had, I, I'm from California, so I, I moved to North Dakota for, for school. And then again, I moved to Akron, Ohio for internship. And at that point, I was, I thought, I don't want to keep moving and then have to move someplace in a year, yeah, move absolutely. again if they weren't going to hire. So that was a big part of it, too. Right. Uh, the other aspect of it was um, salary-wise. I mean, most postdocs mm-hmm. don't get paid much more than an intern. Well, depending on where your, your site is, most mm-hmm. postdocs don't get paid much more than an intern. So that was a factor, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... If in in my case I wanted to work this place without I wanted to have an outreach emphasis in the work that I do, mm-hmm. uh, there's very very few postdocs that I saw that had any kind of outreach emphasis on it. Most of the the, the postdoc rotations mm-hmm. were about um, neuropsychology or things like research ba- basis behind it or group therapy or mm-hmm. something along those lines. There was not a whole lot of options for or even like a teaching rotation. For me, there wasn't a whole lot of options for outreach. Mm-hmm. So that tailored my, my, my application process a bit more. Right, right. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that it's important to figure out what are some of the training experiences that's important to you um, mm-hmm. and seeing if the postdoc or, um, or um, full-time positions offer those opportunities. Yes, very much so. 
Yeah. And um, hopefully you have a good relationship with your with your internship um, mm -hmm. supervisors because mm -hmm. uh, those supervisors will give you an honest opinion of could you use another more year? Could you use another year of training to mm. to, to really like solidify your skill set? Mm -hmm. uh, could you use a, another year of uh, of growth? Those types mm -hmm. of things are important too. Right. Uh, for me, the feedback I received was. Um, I didn't, um, that I, whatever I needed to learn, I could learn in a full-time position. I, a postdoc mm -hmm. may not benefit me a whole lot as far as right. my clinical skills. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I was too. So that was helpful too. Right, right. Yeah, that's important to know. Um, based on different career goals and career paths, sometimes more training is needed, but some other times it's just really um not that much more helpful um, except for being paid less <laughs> for another year and having to move. Yeah, and um, and, and also too, uh, some postdocs, you're able to have that, that conversation of do you, how often do you hire your postdoc trainees? Mm -hmm. um, how often, how often um, do people stay on that kind of a thing? Mm -hmm. um, so the other, this part came up which is uh, was just challenging for me is once your interviews were over and you received an offer there was not a whole lot of time you had to make a decision and mm -hmm. some in some cases I would I would interview on a Tuesday and they did want to answer by a Thursday Wow! so for me that was too much I couldn't just I couldn't make a decision in three days like that so that was challenging too Wow yeah that is challenging because it's different from the internship process where you interview and then you know the results yeah. on the same day and um, I guess there wasn't any decision that you made in the end at this computer makes it for us. Um, yeah like you go where they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and and it seems like it's also different from the doctoral admission process where everybody has April 15th as the deadline to yeah. make the final decision. Yeah, that would be right, challenging. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that just passed. So congratulations to all the people that got in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that's a really good uh, point too. Um, postdoc, not all postdocs are the same. Um, mm -hmm. It isn't like internship where there's a, there's a specific where, where you find out there's not, a, there's, there's not like a universal application process. I think that's changing more. Uh, I think I only used the match for one to two postdoc positions. All the rest were um, per site. So it, it was a lot different um, than internship. Okay, okay. gotcha. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, so uh, I, I actually um, was in the internship match process this past year. And when I was doing my yeah. site search, um, I noticed that there are some postdoc sites in the system as well. So um, mm -hmm. It sounds like there are some postdoc sites that's AP accredited and in the match process, but are some uh, or a lot more that's not in the APA database and you just have to reach out and apply individually. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. There is, yeah, the APIC is, is very helpful. I mean, I, I at least found out where some sites were. Um, and I honestly, I hope that does change a bit more because it is more challenging coming from a very structured process with internship and even with mm -hmm. applying to graduate school to right. having this unstructured kind of free-for-all with postdoc. Uh, so it's, it's a lot more work on your, on your end. And the other, and that kind of 
in a way it takes it took me out of the internship process in a way because I think it was three months into internship that's when we started to get um, job listings from our from our supervisors at internships mm-hmm. saying these are jobs that are available and it's it, it kind of well for me it, it really took me out of the moment because I was enjoying my internship here and really learning a lot and then all of a sudden stop all that you need to <laughs> learn about um, these jobs right yeah I hear that a lot um, it sounds like soon after internship starts so we have to do this all over again and apply and yeah. um, search and prepare material all of that yeah yeah um, and um, let me think, I have a question in terms of um, different states have different requirements sure. for um, postdoctoral hours. Um, so yes. uh, personally, that's something that I'm confused about because um, uh, ideally I am thinking after I finish internship, I would like to find a, a permanent position. Um, and mm-hmm. I know, there are some positions that allow you to accrue postdoctoral hours um, while being hired as a, a full-time professional, but there are some other positions that's just a one-year uh, postdoctoral experience that would lead you to licensure, but the employment afterwards is unclear or uh, not guaranteed. Um, and of course, there are some other states that doesn't explicitly require postdoctoral hours. Um, and mm-hmm. I know I, I came from Indiana, and that's one of the states that doesn't re- require postdoctoral hours. And the process is easier um, in those states, but that poses some challenges if um, you want to move to another another state in the future. So there are just a lot of factors to consider. Um, so. In a state that require postdoctoral hours, how how uh, how do people find positions that they can accrue postdoctoral hours on the position versus doing a formal postdoc? I don't know if you have any yeah. insights about that. Yeah, what what we worked out in Akron at least was the. Uh, the, the there was two psychologists who led the, the internship seminar or excuse me the, the licensure seminar mm-hmm. and and what those psychologists did was they had us prepare for the most difficult licensure state um, mm-hmm. and then go that way um, so I think that we were looking at New York and California mm-hmm. as far as the most challenging states to get hours for mm-hmm. and then we prepared that way uh, mm-hmm. and I know in for example, in, in Wyoming, um, they would take uh, internship hours plus postdoc hours. When I was hired here, um, mm-hmm. I was able to uh, accrue hours as a postdoc, uh, mm-hmm. postdoc hours, even though I was a full-time employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, my job title changed a bit, but that was not a, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know in other states, it's a lot more challenging because they'll only accept postdoc hours. They want like 2,000 or something like that. Some of them wouldn't take uh internship hours either so that's also a challenge too mm-hmm. so um what i did what i did I, I was what i did was i narrowed it down to three different states that i was looking to move to mm-hmm. or i would i would be okay living with and then make sure i had hours for for those three places mm-hmm. and that worked out okay um and also you need to make sure that if there's an oral exam plus e triple p that's mm-hmm. also a thing to prepare for as well mm-hmm. uh so 
yeah, those are just a few factors. Uh, right. But when it comes to postdoc hours, mm-hmm. most, my understanding is most full-time jobs will hire a licensed or eligible, uh, eligible person. Mm-hmm. At the time, this was last year, most jobs that I, that I looked at and found, you were able to uh, accrue hours as a postdoc while working full-time, because I mean, literally you were a postdoc because after your doctor's degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing was they would give you about a year in order mm-hmm. to become licensed, which worked out worked out really worked out for me really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think most postdocs are set up that way, but full time jobs you just have to negotiate uh, the time to study, the time to get licensed, mm-hmm. and then. We'll talk more about negotiation as we go along here, um, but a lot of that is, is, is in the hiring process to negotiate time to prepare and mm-hmm. time to get licensed and making sure that there's a psychologist that can supervise you as well. Right, right. Yeah, so there are also lots of things going into getting a, a permanent position where you could be allowed for a year to accrue postdoctoral hours. Yes, yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. making sure, um, I think a lot of what happens when you start applying for jobs is uh, for some, it, well, let me just say this from my, my, my personal opinion. Uh, as an ethnic minority graduate, uh, my concern at the time was, oh, I'm just lucky if I get anything. I'm lucky if I get any job at all. Mm-hmm. I should be grateful for that job. I should be grateful that someone's willing to hire me, mm-hmm. uh, which is true and not true. Yes, I'm grateful for the job. You can feel grateful for the opportunity to apply. However, I'm bringing a lot to the table. I'm bringing education. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing my experience. I'm bringing my. Uh, I'm bringing all of my skills. So not only am I lucky to get a job, they're also lucky to hire me. Mm-hmm. So that's um, but that type of mentality really enabled me to to develop uh, some negotiation skills on the kind of last minute. Right, right. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I think our mm. students, um, many of us might feel like we have to go through more, um, more hoops or barriers to get to uh, where other people are. Um, but I think it's, it's helpful for them to hear that we also bring a lot to the table and the, um, uh, the, multicultural factors or some of our students mm-hmm. are um, bilingual or bicultural and I know a lot of oh, university yeah. counseling centers really um, um, really appreciate the um, additional expertise that, that some students bring to the table. I hope so. If they don't, that's, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if you want to work there. <laughs> but, right. And I mean, everyone's, everything's a bit different um, mm-hmm. as far as what you bring to the table. Um, mm-hmm. For because um, that experience and and well let me let me just start over with that imposter syndrome is is a real thing and mm. the uh, and and the challenge of that is uh, I think every grad student has that mm-hmm. those that maybe identify as as an ethnic or sexual minority or a minority in some place uh, there comes that extra baggage of well they might not want to hire me because of this reason or that reason, or will students see me? Um, are they hiring me as a token minority? Um, are they hiring me as a token man, a token this, token that? 
Um, so there, there's the challenge of falling into that trap of tokenizing yourself, mm. um, which you, for me, I need to, re- to really assess that uh, because the, depending on where you, where you work and the contacts you have, you're able to find out if the place that you're applying to really does value uh, multicultural connection and multicultural knowledge. Mm. They really practice from a culturally humble place. Um, mm. And they may not. I think it's really popular for pl- people to say that they're multicultural and they value multiculturalism. And then once you get there, you realize that it's that's not true. So that's where I think a lot of it comes down to not only doing your own work about where to apply, but doing your own work on meeting people that have worked there or work there now and seeing if that's really true. Mm-hmm. Uh, because ideally, it's a job you have for a while. You have it for you know for at least three years, if not longer. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that that you're a good fit and they're a good fit for you, which goes back to the value that you have, the value that you add to the position, and and the value the position adds to your career and your growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's such an important point. Thank you for mentioning that, and I think that's especially important for students in Division Forty Five to think, uh, really think about how to find a good match, not only uh, for the internship, but also postdoc and permanent position in the future. Um, and I really, really <laughs> resonate sure. with what you said about, it's very popular for sites to say that we embrace multicultural multiculturalism mm-hmm. um, and we welcome students or trainees from diverse backgrounds or, fa- or um, staff from diverse backgrounds. But when you, actually interact with them. Uh, you, there might be signs that you can tell varying, dif- varying degrees of uh, multicultural awareness or competence within the site. So um, I'm curious about what are some of the tips and experiences that you've used to help you gauge uh, whether that's a good fit for you um, as, mm-hmm. um, as an ethnic minority or a minority in other areas? Sure. Uh, the well, the first for me is well. I again, I was one of the fortunate things that I was able to achieve was uh, as an ethnic minority scholar for APA. You get to meet uh, uh, a lot of the. I don't know how to say this without sounding really like narcissistic. Uh, you get to meet a lot of the brighter. Uh, you get to meet a lot of other scholars that are identified as ethnic minorities. And, and, it, and with that, you're able to develop relationships with them and learn from them mm-hmm. and figure out where, where they're coming from and what their experience has been. Um, most mm-hmm. people apply. I mean, there's not that many places to apply. I mean, there's mm-hmm. most people you're going to run into some overlap um, about where you're applying and their experience about it too. So developing some trusted relationships with, with fellow um, in this case, fellow uh, MFP um, students, mm-hmm. and, and meeting them, learning from them, learning from the faculty. One of the great opportunities through the MFP program is you get paired with a, an experienced ethnic minority uh, mentor from another university, mm-hmm. and that was so very helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. They give you a lot of great insight, a lot of personal insight, a lot of professional insight, and a lot of authentic communication, which did a lot of help. Uh, a lot of helpful uh, growth. Mm-hmm. So uh, really just branching out, learning from other people, asking questions, mm. um, being feeling okay with 
asking really qu questions that, that you might think are, are stupid or silly or whatever it is, asking those questions because you really want to find an answer. Right. Um, so those are some ways, meeting other people that mm -hmm. uh, maybe identify it's the same uh, background that I do, um, mm -hmm. the same, um, and they're all achieving. Um, those types of folks at least will have some of the same concerns or questions you might have mm -hmm. and asking those questions in a, in a safe place and a yeah. safe relationship um, is the ways to negotiate that and learn more about that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and that seems to kind of really uh, speak to the importance of mentorship and professional relationships mm -hmm. with um, people who might look like us or identify um, in similar ways as uh, our students and just really providing, uh, finding those safe places and asking tough questions or silly questions um, to get to get those answers. Uh, and it is really humbling too. there. I mean, there are some students who who really know all they need to do. I mean, they've already negotiated K awards, which is an award you get through NIH, I believe, or NIMH. They've already negotiated all these things. And, and then for me, I was I am in awe of a lot of the students that really have their their stuff together knowing how to fund themselves in a way knowing that they had to develop their own foundation before they moved on and a lot of the professors um, may not either have the time or have the opportunity to teach their advisees how to write grants how to yeah. earn awards the NIH or what have you networking one and other people is so important mm -hmm. right yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And hopefully, our Division mm -hmm. Forty Five uh, will offer some of those resources as well. And the, uh, the mentorship yeah. sessions that we do will provide a little bit more resources and access mm -hmm. for students who uh, are looking to similar mentors and to ask those questions and finding those connections. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, thank you for sharing. And I wanted to go back to. Um, the piece that it seems really int uh, intriguing that you talk about uh, negotiating time to study for ECPP and the mm -hmm. time to prepare for licensure when you are searching for a postdoctoral, uh, either a postdoctoral position or a permanent position after um, after you finish your internship. So, how is that negotiation process like, and what are the things that is really important for us to negotiate and get? Um, as we move closer to licensure? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the first one is tolerance for anxiety. Because okay. uh, it is an anxiety-provoking process. One, just to, mm -hmm. just the interviewing process, the application process is already very challenging. Mm -hmm. Once you um, get the, you know, once you have the interviews, once you accept the position, then comes the offer. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is where the, for me, the anxiety crept in of, okay, should I just take the first thing that that is offered? Do I, do I have any negotiating power in this moment? Mm. And so the first thing is, um, knowing that internship and 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 most postdocs, for example, there is no negotiating power. You they have a set schedule that they offer, and and that's where you're at. When it comes to a full-time position, uh, 
where you earn hours as a postdoc, there is negotiate, you do have negotiating power in there. And hopefully you have a mentor that can talk to you about that. Um, mm-hmm. I had um, a couple of different people I, I spoke to about that. And so you are able to um, negotiate a few things. Uh, one, the starting salary, you're able to negotiate that. Um, two, um, you also have the option to negotiate um, a bump in pay after you become licensed. Um, three, it, able to negotiating um, your expense to travel for uh, taking the HPLP, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so where I'm at in Wyoming, there is only one location in this state that where you can take the HPLP, and that's very far. Um, mm-hmm. Most places you have to go to, at least here, you have to go, you have to, go to Colorado, um, which is the next state over. Um, but, ne- but you're able to negotiate uh, travel expenses to and from. You're able to negotiate uh, you know, the uh, mileage and all that stuff. Um, and some postdocs or, or some full-time positions will uh, provide you funds to buy um, a, a, prep, a, a prep software or prep program. Uh, I didn't really need to do that. Um, I was able to... Um, get some ha- some hand-me-down materials, which worked out a lot. Uh, so those are some things that you can negotiate, for example, just the your starting pay, pay after you get licensed, mm-hmm. um, time to study, uh, travel expenses to and from the test. Mm-hmm. And then um, also, and this is a bit of a tangent, but also continuing education and continuing um, mm-hmm. like funds to keep, to go to conferences, funds to take classes and things. Because mm-hmm. you do need to earn your CEs somehow, so that's another thing you can negotiate as part of your mm-hmm. salary, which should typically, you, I mean, obviously you can't do that in uh, internship. I mean, sometimes they give you time off for dissertation and whatnot, um, and sometimes postdocs uh, will offer you some funds for travel. However, it's usually a set thing. There is no negotiating power, but when you apply for a full-time job, there is some, mm-hmm. you do have some opportunity to negotiate, and it's it's a weird it's strange if you've never done if you've never done it before it's really strange to be able to mm-hmm. to say to someone um yeah so well, actually i think i i want to earn more than than what you're offering or right. i think with my skill set um my skill set uh would earn a higher pay rate than this mm-hmm. or if you have the opportunity to to learn what other postdocs or excuse me what other positions in the area mm-hmm. offer you can use that as a base um, right you also can look at, I believe most universities, uh, not most, I know some universities' salaries are public, so you're able to use those as, as some kind of a, a range too. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was mainly about tolerating the anxiety of having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And then from there, once I was able to do that, it got a lot easier right. or more manageable, I should say, not easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I think these are some of the points that um, we don't usually think about until we get to that point. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really helpful for us to hear there are a couple of things uh, and very important things for us to negotiate in order to um, ensure that we can have the time and have the resources to get licensed and continue to be licensed. Okay, um, welcome back, Dr. Blioness. We had some technological difficulties yesterday, so we're resuming the mentorship session today. Um, so thank you, 
yesterday for providing us very um, just invaluable advice and suggestions on um, the issues to consider when students are pursuing licensure um, and specifically how to, uh, what are the things to negotiate when we get a job offer. And sure. I'm sure that's, um, that will be really, really helpful for students who are um, going to come up to that stage of their professional training. I hope um, so. And Yue, thanks for your time as well for coming back on today too. Yeah, sure. Um, let me see. Uh, one topic that I wanted to ask you is since we talked about um, licensure and clinical training, the journey is long and very complex at times. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did you maintain a work-life balance? Especially, I remember we talked about the tolerance for anxiety and anxiety is an unavoidable part of this journey. So what are yeah. some of the tips and experience that you had um, to maintain work-life balance? Uh, the first was, uh, I, one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to defend my dissertation before internship. So mm -hmm. that was a big deal for me. And right. I, I did sacrifice some of my social and, and family time um, in order to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And that uh, other people may not want to do that. They may, they may uh, not really have that desire to defend before internship I did mm -hmm. and so once I got to internship my life was a lot different um, for one you don't have for the most part you don't have class during internship uh, right. so depending on your work schedule for us we were eight to five at the university counseling center there mm -hmm. and then once five o'clock hit we were done uh, the staff at Akron was very uh, they made sure they, they really want us to leave. They would constantly come by our offices and say, you shouldn't be here late, go home, day ends at five, that type of thing. So that made it really easy to develop a work-life balance to where I started to have to, or want to, excuse me, wanted to do things after work that would contribute to my wellness, whether it was hiking, walking, uh, just getting a coffee or a tea or something, um, or mm -hmm. going, going exercise or something like that. All those opportunities were there and the, especially in Akron near Cleveland, there's a lot more to do there art-wise and culture-wise. So mm -hmm. there's a lot more things to explore. And I spent a lot of time making sure that I recovered, if you will, from grad school. Because right. uh, I think there is that element of, of recovery of, because unless you're in the cohort, you don't know all that goes into it. And it's a lot of work. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, something that can be a goal for a lot of students. And personally, I'm aiming for at least getting most the <clears throat> most of my dissertation done before internship. And then that uh, seems to be uh, help a lot when when we go on internship. Yeah, very much. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most challenging things for me about internship was staying in one mm -hmm. place the entire day. Mm -hmm. uh, as a grad student, you don't do that. I mean, you're doing three or four things uh, right. five things, you know, and you're going from place to place to place. So your right. days are pretty varied. Mm -hmm. Once you get to internship, you're mostly indoors for mm -hmm. most of the day. And I right. mean, it's really challenging. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that's such a good point. Um, that raised a question for me in terms of uh, how was the transition like being a doctoral student wearing different hats and sometimes you're running around the building throughout the day um, to having a more set schedule um, mm -hmm. and sitting in the same room or position most of the day. I'm sure it comes with uh, kind of pros and cons in terms of the adjustments. So what was that like for you? Uh, for me, I didn't. I didn't like it. I, I really <laughs> okay. wanted to uh, 
you know, for me, I, I need to do a variety of things during the day mm-hmm. in order to, to feel good, to feel unstuck. Uh, so for me, right. it was really challenging. So I made sure I took on a lot of outreach activities. I didn't even care what it was. Um, I just did whatever outreach activity was mm-hmm. there. Anything to get out of the building, anything to go between buildings, whatever it was. Right. Uh, and my cohort members in internship had the opposite feeling. They liked mm-hmm. one place the entire day. They liked having a, mm. a pretty structured, pretty regimented day. Right. Um, so it, it differs for me. For me, I didn't like it. I like the idea right. of some variety. And so that transition was challenging. The other thing is too, it's once again, moving to a new place. Mm-hmm. I'm moving to Ohio. I didn't know anyone there. You have your cohort members. Hopefully you all get along. If you don't, mm-hmm. it's more challenging. Hopefully the staff is kind to you. Right. If, if it's not as challenging, hopefully they care about you. I know some sites, they, I don't know if it's, I don't know if, if the store is overblown or not, but you, you uh, one hears horror stories about these sites that work their interns to the bone and that's just what mm-hmm. they're there for. Right. Uh, I did not have that experience. I felt like a valued part of, of the team there that made the, that made that transition a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Ohio is a pretty cultural, multicultural place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, that made it even easier too. Um, Grand Forks in North Dakota, it's, it's, there's not as much variety of ethnicities in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, inherently and in Ohio and Cleveland and Akron, there's a lot more. So that made, but for me, that just took away a lot of the stress because uh, right. there was just a lot, a lot less of um, either perceived or real racism and either perceived mm. or, or actual microaggressions and things. I experienced that a lot less um, in a place that the, the ethnicity and the cultural makeup was a lot more varied. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that um, ethnic racial minority students and professionals will always face throughout their lifetime and their professional Mm -hmm. career in terms of the larger community and Mm -hmm. cultural, how that contributes to our well-being and our sense of fitting in or uh, being accepted um, and being supported in that environment. Yeah, very much. Um, and that mm-hmm. research, research would support that. I don't, I don't think it's something that people are making up. Research would support that mm-hmm. uh, ethnic and gender minorities, or excuse me, ethnic minorities and sexual minorities um, have different experiences in, yeah. uh, in less and more homogenous uh, cultures. It's just a different experience. Right, right. And perhaps something that's something to consider as well when um, considering where to apply for internship and what and um, how we can get the most out of the experience. Yeah, yeah. And um, for me, I, um, another kind of easy thing for me is I didn't really have any geographic locations, mm-hmm. uh, ge- geographic limitations. Um, so I had that. That was easier for me, too. Right. Uh, so... And one of the reasons I applied at this job here is because it's close to Denver, which is like an hour flight to California where my family is. So it's it's easy to get there for holidays and things. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of things to consider as we move around throughout our professional journey. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also curious about um, earlier when you said about um, the professional experience. and especially pursuing for licensure. Um, mm-hmm. Now you're at the other side of the 
um, the tunnel, yeah. so to yeah. speak. Um, what are some of the things that you wish you knew um, when you were a student, um, just about to go on internship, perhaps, or just starting to thinking about license? Sure. Uh, let me think. Give me a moment here. Okay. Uh, I think the if one thing I, I don't know if doc programs are supposed to do this or do do this or not. Uh, mm -hmm. There is not really, as far as I know, a whole lot of emphasis on studying for the ishiboP while you're in school. Right. Uh, however, it would be helpful um, if mm -hmm. if either the department or the faculty would 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 have provided some kind of uh, quick overview of what's required of you because there are some elements of the studying of the questions that are asked and things that you don't deal with a lot, you don't deal with a lot in school, or if you do deal with it, it's it's like it's once and never again. Right. So there's that piece of it. Uh, mm -hmm. So staying current, I think was a pretty good one. Um, I think now with um, APAC's helping out a lot, students are pretty aware of P part two coming out. So I think that's mm -hmm. hopefully I won't be a surprise to people. Mm -hmm. um, the cost is a big, big thing. Right. Um, if you don't have contacts that can give you leftover materials, um, it is a lot of money. I mean, some of the programs, you can pay thousands of dollars for the psych prep or, or uh, AATBS or whatever whatever program that you can study with. They're a lot of money. It's a lot of time. Right. Um, it's, there's, there's that thing. So uh, let me think of what else would have been helpful. Uh, if you are going to pursue a faculty position, uh, mm -hmm. it is a good idea to get licensed anyway, because mm -hmm. a lot of the students would need people to supervise them. And unless you're a licensed psychologist, you can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing is too, and this is what I did not know. So for, I don't know other states, but specifically Wyoming, you have to have uh, four years of experience before you can supervise someone else mm. uh, on your own license. So right. that was, um, a really big shock to me because I was like, all right, cool, I'm licensed, I can start to supervise people. Right. And technically you can, however, you're supervising mm -hmm. under someone else's license. So it's not right. that much different than internship. Right. If you wanna, I don't know uh, what other states are, but for here, mm -hmm. I, I have to keep practicing for three more, four more years. So I wouldn't be mm -hmm. able to supervise anybody till 2023. So that's right. a long time. So that's right. something that was disappointing. Right. Uh, uh, the other thing too is the even though there is like a benefit to like for example signing off on your own notes not getting not having to worry about people looking over your shoulder as much mm -hmm. there is extra responsibility of knowing that no one is looking over your shoulder I mean mm -hmm. it is all on you for the most part what happens right if you're in private practice it literally is all on you and right. so there is that that extra I wouldn't say stress but responsibility level that if you're not prepared for it then you may want to wait a bit to get supervised. Uh, that to keep in mind, CEUs are still an additional cost, mm -hmm. um, which, which for the most part, I mean, I've negotiated to get that covered here, so that's not as bad, thankfully. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you don't, then you have to pay for that stuff as well. Um, right. The other one too is I think it's becoming more popular to do like, like Zoom or Skype based or whatever it is, uh, counseling. Mm -hmm. And that's all helpful. However, just be aware of like state jurisdictions and like making sure that you can 
you can still practice right. and, still, and still provide counseling over the, over the internet, mm -hmm. which works out fine too. Right. Um, let me think. Um, oh, the importance of a study buddy too. Like if you're studying mm -hmm. on your own, it's a lot harder. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people like it better for me. I, I worked with a, right. a buddy of mine and we had like a, a, a specific plan that we followed, which made it a lot easier. Okay. So really, um, really have like a, a regimented, structured schedule of studying. Right. Um, and yeah. Oh, and don't <laughs> don't listen to the horror stories about people failing because those I did that once. That was the worst. Ugh. So yeah, you read some scary stories about people like failing by a few points, and so yeah, just try and yeah. ignore all that and stick to your plan and, and do the best you right. can. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Those are really helpful. Yeah. One second. I'm going to drink coffee really quick. <laughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> no, that's okay. Thank you so much for all of these insights. That's very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of EPPP, I'm also wondering what would be the timeline? I, because I personally, I heard different uh, versions of how, how many hours you should devote it to preparing for EPPP. So, I, I feel like some of our students are confused about once we start internship and looking ahead in terms of planning everything, um, how did you do it? And what would be a reasonable timeline for somebody to get out license? Yeah. Uh, the, the timeline I negotiated when I applied here was I was hired in August and I negotiated to have till October of 2019. Mm -hmm. So that was what a year plus two, so fourteen months. Right. Uh, I I took I took it and passed it in January. So I studied. Mm -hmm. I didn't study for five months though. I didn't start studying until I don't know. It was I, all I can tell you is just two hundred hours of studying. Okay. That's, that's what we did. Um, mm -hmm. We we planned it out so it was two hundred hours and nothing more. Mm -hmm. A colleague of ours um, cited some research that said anything more than 200, 250 hours is like a loss of return as far as studying goes. Mm -hmm. So the way that uh, my buddy and I uh, made the plan is we studied X many hours per week, a different topic per week, mm -hmm. and then we studied approximately 200 hours. Mm -hmm. um, I think give or take a few hours here and there because holidays and things got didn't holidays and things kind of took us off our schedule sometimes. Right. We studied 200 hours. I want to say we started in October and we finished in January or something, mm -hmm. uh, something like that. Uh, right. So that, that's the timeline that we used. We did it while we were both working. Uh, my mm -hmm. friends had made a postdoc. I was at this job. So we both did it after hours. Mm -hmm. We spent about two hours uh, or so mm -hmm. each, each time period. And then we quizzed each other. Mm -hmm. The first two, two uh, the first 150 hours or so was all studying the materials from the program that we used. And then the last hours were, um, in addition to taking some of the practice tests, mm -hmm. uh, which were really helpful. Um, and I'm not gonna really, I'm not gonna say what program because I'm not really about plugging anything. Uh, mm -hmm. However, the application we used, the questions were like almost verbatim what was on the actual Eachable P2. Mm -hmm. So the practice tests were extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, one thing, this is a tip that I wish I learned before. So the way it broke down, you take four practice tests um, and then like a practice test that you don't, how it works is 
the practice test, you answer the question, and then it tells you for right or wrong, and then you learn from that, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, then as you go along, um, the tests get harder, and then the last one you take is one that you don't know the score until the very end. Mm. Just like the real test. It gives you a time limit like the real test does. It's right. really, that's really helpful. Uh, so the first test I took, I like totally bombed. I think I got like 30% correct, which is like pretty bad. Mm. And then steadily I kept getting better to like the very end. I think I scored in the high 80s, which was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then uh, so just because you like fail the first one doesn't mean you're going to like fail you might get that fear that you're going to fail out. That didn't happen. I just kept plugging along. Mm -hmm. um, so we, yeah. So two things. We just had a study schedule. We did the practice tests, and mm -hmm. we 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 quizzed each other a lot, and that helped out tremendously. So right. those things I would say, and not to get too worried if you don't pass yeah. the first test right away, mm -hmm. or if you do, they get progressively harder. So if you get like ninety in the first one. And then the last one you get like a 60, it's, it's because the tests get progressively harder. Gotcha. Um, okay. And the, they're not going to teach you everything. I would say the programs, materials aren't going to teach you everything because mm -hmm. on the test itself, there is questions that they're testing out for like the new version. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff mm -hmm. I had no idea. Of. I, was, mm -hmm. I never even heard of those concepts when I took the test. I've, it was not, not on any of the materials, not on anything that we studied. So that was brand new. I think like they don't tell you which ones are the which ones are the practice mm -hmm. preparing for the next version of the test questions. Mm. So um, gotcha. Even with that, um, even with the test itself, to just keep keep a steady pace. Don't mm -hmm. spend too much time on things that you're not sure of. Just keep answering and going along. And if right. you're super sure you know the wrong, the right answer, just flag it and come back to it. Mm -hmm. um, that'll make sense when you take the practice test because you can flag some questions and come back to them. Gotcha. Uh, but it's better to answer everything first that we mm -hmm. don't miss out on any extra points because you ran out of time. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And earlier you said that you negotiated 14 months to study for EPPP yeah. with your job. Um, so how does that look like? Is it additional hours during your um, 40 hours week to study for the test or is it just a time um, frame for you to pass the exam? It's the, it's the latter. It's the time for him to pass the okay. exam. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mm -hmm. essentially studied like after hours, like after work mm -hmm. ended, my friend and I would we'd go on Google right. Hangout and study. Gotcha. Um, and then sometimes on weekends, um, let me think of what else. Yeah, so that's what I did. And then the, and I didn't need that much time. I mean, I, I finished past it in January, so mm -hmm. I basically had however many months. Right. It was like not for a while, so. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. And it's definitely good to give yourself a couple of um, extra month and then feel like you you're cutting on the deadline. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it seems like um, we do need to take some hours after work during that period of time to study for EPPP and that's something to be prepared for and thinking about ahead of time. For sure. And again, having a structured time not mm -hmm. to that's where anxiety can come in because it, i could have like got really nervous and i studied like 10 hours a day for like mm -hmm. every day um that just you just i would just burn myself out so i just kept right. up my schedule mm -hmm. and tolerated that anxiety of uh, i might not know this i might not know that right. and it's true you might not and mm -hmm. 
sleeping is important. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So try yeah. and develop a healthy habit of sleeping and eating well if you can. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for all of those valuable suggestions. And sure. yeah, and I and and what I learn a lot from you is um, a lot of time management and mm -hmm. also emotional management and acknowledging that uh, things can get very anxiety provoking and things can get sometimes scary. And we have those, uh, I guess each of us might have those automatic thoughts sometimes come in to scare us off. Um, but we as psychologists may be able to use some of the tools to help ourselves and encourage ourselves to be more tolerant and pace things out and stick to our schedule. And uh, it seems like in the long run, it does pay off. For sure. Yes. And, and it's, you want to be able to, to, I mean, at least for me, like it's difficult for me to like just clinically to give, to, to do counseling and therapy um, and like not, not practice the same things that I, that I, you know, work with clients about or tell, counsel clients to do. So I want to make sure I'm practicing in a healthy way. That way I'm not just like a hypocrite to my right. client. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you so, um, practice what we preach, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's all of the questions that I have for now. And I have learned tremendously um, about things that come after internship and moving towards licensure. And thank you so much for the suggestions and the insights and sharing your own experiences. I think that's going to be really, really helpful for students um, and younger or uh, early professionals to hear that. Definitely. Well, thank you, UA, for the time, for the opportunity to speak with you. And I uh, hope you kick butt um, in your program and in HBLP and, and all your future endeavors. Thank you so much. And the last thing I, I was going to say is that um, as a part of our mentorship program, um, every mentor um, agreed to take um, three mentees. Um, if uh, any individual mentees are interested in contacting uh, Dr. Blionas um, to talk further about some of the topics um, that he has shared, um, you all can um, message, uh, email us uh, to our Division 45 uh, mentor um, uh, Gmail account, and we will connect you to our mentors and, um, and set up those relationships to further uh, mentorship and further the support um, going forward. Yeah, that's one, one of the things I'm looking forward to. So yeah, it'd be great to connect with people and, and pass on any knowledge that I have and, and learn from you all too, so for sure. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for taking two um, uh, hours from uh, both your Saturday and Sunday to talk. Oh, with yeah. us. <laughs> You're fine. You're all good. I still got time to go do stuff. So we're all good. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we look forward to um, keep in touch with you. And thank you for being our mentor both last year and this year. We really, really appreciate your support and your contribution in our program. For sure. You're very welcome and take care. Thank you. All right, bye. bye.